chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 24. You're going to notice that there's a bit of a dramatic uh, turn from Paul's beautiful, poetic, uh, in nature, theological work of Jesus Christ to now where it's going to um, show us how it impacts Paul's life. In other words, here we have someone who gets Jesus, and now you're going to see how his vocation is going to reflect, or, or, or his work is going to reflect how he views Jesus. And I think that's going to be something to be said of us. So, so we've been talking a lot about Jesus, and now we're going to start getting to, and Colossians really is going to start flowing into a lot of uh, practical things for the church and I think will be good for us also. We're going to talk about, you know, marriages and, and relationships and all that stuff later on in the chapter. So it's going to get real practical. But none of that is really going to matter if you didn't get the previous part of the chapter right, which is your view of Jesus Christ. Right. So Colossians chapter 1. This sweet little baby, he's okay. I just feel like I'm in a Pentecostal church, you know, a little murmuring and everything, so it's all right. Verse 24, all right? Y'all there? Good. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, for this I labor, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, For I want to know how great a struggle I have for you. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for the reading of your word. Your word brings life. Your, your word sanctifies us in the truth. Not some man's truth, but your truth. In it, we find life. In it, we find freedom. Yes. And God, for those who have not found that freedom, may your word call them to your light, to your life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the realizations that I had when I was thinking through the scripture is the most significant things we are going to do is really the work of God and the work that God has for you. Now, some of you, and that, that kind of filters it, its way out in different ways for a lot of us because a lot of us, our work is, I don't know, teachers. We have people who are in the labor force. We have stay-at-home moms. We have, I don't know if we got any stay-at-home dads, but that would be nice. Um, Willie, yeah, he, thank you, Aaron, for pointing that out. I didn't point that out. Aaron pointed that out. Whether that is, whatever it is, that work is divinely purposed for you to do by God, for God, but your work, whatever that is, is not really the ends of the means. It really should be flowing something else out of it. So work and vocation is a good thing. It's a great thing. But if you're not using it for God, by God, then you're really just living your life for meaningless pleasures in a meaningless way. Work can bring you success, earthly success. Work can bring you lots of money. I don't know if anyone in here has got that problem. If you do, you should be tithing, by the way. <laughs> we, never mind, I'll talk about that later. Um, and there's a chance that you could succeed in life but you could also fail at life. That's when you're working for yourself instead of working for God. We get a, we get a, we get a glimpse in Paul's life. Y'all know Paul's earthly vocation was a tent maker. So he's out side hustling, building some tents for some people. But that wasn't the purpose of Paul. The purpose of Paul, we get a bigger glimpse of in this passage, is to be a minister of this mystery, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Likewise, we can also look at this and get a glimpse of what our greater work is. Now, granted, none of y'all are going to be Paul. Sorry if that deflated some of your egos. None of y'all going to be like the, the big A, Paul, the big apostle. That didn't come out right. Um, the big apostle, Paul, sometimes gaffes just happen, and I don't mean for them to happen, but it just happens, okay? So we're not going to be the capital A. There it is, Paul. But we're going to be ministers of the gospel, Paul. The little A. That still didn't good. The... The lowest A, well, let me move on from this point because it's going in flames. Because, because when, when you get Jesus right, I better stick with my notes. Then your work, <laughs> help me God, let's read verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, 
the church. Now, let me, before we get a little application in this, let me, let me just kind of tease that verse out. Sounds weird, doesn't it? That I rejoice in afflictions, that I rejoice in sufferings. Come on now, does that, does that sound crazy? I'm suffering, yes, is what Paul is saying. But if you understand why he's suffering, then you get it. It's not so weird. It's not so foreign for us. Paul's suffering and his rejoicing and his suffering kind of flows out because he understood that there was also always a purpose behind suffering. One of them is that Paul understood that there's a blessing behind suffering for Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said in the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12? If you can't remember it, I'll tell you, blessed are those who are what? Persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God or of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad in that suffering. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Paul gets that there is a blessing behind the persecution and suffering and pain. He also understands that a cause for rejoicing in his suffering was for the Gentiles. Paul never met anyone from the church of Colossae who was filled with Gentiles. But he's rejoicing for their sake. Never met any of these jokers. Paul also rejoiced in his suffering because he was devoted to not just this local church in Colossae, but he was devoted to the capital C church. And he can rejoice in his suffering for the growth and the maturation, amen, of the capital C church. If y'all gonna be quiet on me, that little baby ain't. He gonna help me preach up in here. Paul went from persecuting the church, then Jesus meets him, levels him out on his face. Y'all remember what Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Because Jesus is identifying himself here. Why are you persecuting the church here? Me. Paul went from persecuting the church to now suffering for the church. Here's what Paul got, and here's what some of us need to get. Here's what I'm getting to. Instead of, Paul, instead of asking, what can I get out of the church? Paul's asking and stating, really, what can I now give the church? Now, we got this issue in our culture of America, and I hope ain't never one of y'all, that we ask that question, what can I get out of the church? That's the wrong question to be asking. The question you need to be asking is, what can I give into the church? Now, then it says, because we've got to do a little work on this one. Then he says something a little, little puzzling. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ. 
afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Let me, let me just kind of break that down real quick. Christ's suffering on the cross was sufficient enough. Paul is just saying, listen, Christ was suffering and he paid the ultimate sacrifice. We now join in his suffering for the church. This isn't Paul saying that Christ's suffering on the cross wasn't enough for you, so now you've got to go suffer more. That's not what he's implying at all. He's saying Paul was, was taking his, his turn in sharing of the afflictions of Christ, and others would also follow thereafter. Now let me look at this in verse 25. We're going to do some, some application to this uh, this morning on this fine Father's Day morning. This is not a Father's Day message, by the way. I've never done those. This is a, if you are a Christian, get your life straight message. Verse 25, of this, I was, I became a minister by God to make the word of God fully known. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see what your work of the gospel looks like right here. Whether you are a teacher, a parent, whatever your earthly vocation is, Paul's about to lay out a job description for you. An unintentional job description for you, I should say. Look at this verse right here. Again, let me read it. Of this I became a minister of, by God to make the word of God fully known. So here's our first thing. Our work is God's commissioned work. Again, y'all ain't going to be Paul set sailing for all of Asia and all of this, this area, but you will be like Paul in that you are commissioned by God to do something. Y'all ready for know? Y'all ready to know what that mean, What that is? Proclaim the gospel. This was his life's work. Proclaim the gospel. You know what God's commissioned you to do? Proclaim the gospel. I, I thought someone would say it back to me. Thank you, Aaron. But I know I got some Baptists up here, and y'all don't know what to do when I do that kind of stuff. And, and so what, that, what does that look like? You preach the gospel. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I'm just not comfortable doing that, preacher. Well, read your Bible. Get comfortable doing it. Tell yourself in the mirror. You know, that it reminds me of that. that let me be careful because I've already made one terrible gaffe this morning. It reminds me of that silly phrase, you know, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Y'all know I've hated on that, like, ever since we started this, this church. That's the dumbest thing you can say. Preach the gospel and when necessary use words. First of all, that guy never even said that. Can't remember what guy it was. This is dumb. You know why that's dumb? You're just saying, I just need to live a good life. And that should reflect. And people will know. Well, you know who else lives a good life? Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses. Atheists. They live a great, sometimes they live a, a better moral life than some of us. I ain't talking about none of y'all, because y'all are great people, right? I'm just talking about those who are watching online this morning. 
because they're not here to defend themselves. They also, every, you can identify with any kind of group in this world and you can be a good person. So, so what you going to do? Be a good person? Oh, they're going to definitely find Jesus in me just because I'm a good person. Just like they're going to find the same Jesus in all these other cults. Preach. Here's what, here's what Paul would say in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not even believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And here's the kicker. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And he ain't just talking about Matthew. He's talking about all of us. You have been commissioned by God for God to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Now you need to live a good life, please. Don't just hear me say, Matthew said, I ain't got to live a good life. The devil is alive. Notice he goes on and tells you about your work that you're going to be doing. It's also Christ-centered. Look at this in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory to his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, mystery here is not like some mysterious riddle that he's talking about. It's something, and when they heard this term, it's something that they that always that's always there, but it's now been fully revealed. It's now been fully realized. Which is what? The gospel. That's the mystery that he's talking about. He's not talking about some other universal riddle out there. The mystery which has now been revealed to you is Christ crucified. The mystery that's now been revealed to you is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. The gospel in which brings everyone together has been revealed to you now. Paul here is using this and telling us that this good work is all about this mystery, this gospel. Everything we do centers around Jesus Christ, which is why I almost preach the same sermon every single week. Somebody just fell out their chair. I don't know if that was the power of God or just the mama slapped them. I don't, we'll, we'll go with that. Which is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's it. It's like I'm a, it's like you guys come back and hear me say the same thing. I'm amazed by it. A broken record. I mean, literally, I just take the same sermon every week and just kind of tweak it. It's all about Jesus. This was Paul's message. And for you as an individual, it best be your message too. Because we got a lot of messages going out right now. And ain't there one of them close to being Christ-exalting. Everything we do is Christ-centered. It's also, I love verse 29, it's also God empowered. For this I toil, struggling, Paul says, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's saying, like, listen, 
on my own power, I can't do this. Let me break it down for y'all real quick. On your own power or the lack thereof, you can't do it, boo. I know that's what the world ain't telling you. They telling you, you got the power. That's what they try. Y'all didn't know I can break it out like that, did you? They trying to tell you, oh, no, you got all the power. Let me resource you with all the tools you need. No, you ain't got the power. But you know whose power we do have? Power of God. Paul's like, now I can do this because I've been empowered by God to do what? This next verse right here. Verse 28. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So look how he's even diving more into his work. His work is to proclaim Jesus that we would mature in Jesus. That we would proclaim Jesus. There's an end game in mind for your job as a believer and it is again to proclaim Jesus the end game is not hell insurance the end game is not a transaction it's transformation that's the end game that Paul is talking about because there were a lot of false teachers up in this time and they were trying to present this counterfeit gospel we can call it and likewise, there is a counterfeit gospel being preached in churches everywhere. That this Jesus of America wants you to have the success of America. And this is what Paul is account. Look what he says in him. In Jesus, we proclaim. The true Jesus is who we proclaim. Not this false idea of who Jesus is we present and we proclaim the true Jesus warning everyone because there was a lot of these counterfeit Jesuses flowing and circuiting their way through the church Paul says no we counter that with the true Jesus because this American Jesus wants us to be healthy and prosperous but this true Jesus has called you to die to yourself. For how? And, and so look what Paul says now that we proclaim this true Jesus. So what? So now that we can mature in Jesus. This word is taken from the word ripe. You know what an unripe, I don't know if that's a word, unripe fruit is? Unripe, is that how you say that? Sure, we'll go with it. Y'all ever been into an unripe fruit? Let's go with this, because I know all y'all, um, y'all could probably identify with this because we're, we love avocados. Y'all ever been into an unripe avocado? You'll be missing a few teeth <laughs> if you try to do that. Paul's like, listen, I want y'all to be some ripe fruit ready. That's what he's talking about. I want you to be ready. You, you, you have been harvested now. 
You are mature. You've grown up. You have been fully developed. He's interested in a church he's never met in their maturation with Jesus Christ so that they can be fully developed, ready to go out into the world. Pastor Paul here, putting us on blast this morning because we got a lot of un we got a lot of immature folks Paul's like listen our goal our end goal here know Jesus and grow in Jesus let me keep reading because this is going to get into some some good stuff uh, chapter 2 verse 2 look what also your work involves in and we'll stop using my word this is our work Look what also it involves with. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. So our work now involves this view of the local church together. That we encourage each other. Not beat each other down when we're down. And then I love how he uses this. That we would be knit together this is what I see in my mind, right? This isn't prophetic. This is how my dysfunctional mind works sometimes. That Paul has this beautiful knitted sweater that your grandmama did for you. Ain't got no tears. Ain't got no uh, little string ready just to be pulled so that it comes this crazy looking sweater. It's a tightly knit sweater. Paul says, I want y'all to look like that. But what we be wearing up in here sometimes is a sweater that's been attacked by a cat. Because all cats, y'all know, are evil. Got holes all up in it. Half the sweater down the street somewhere because the crazy dog done took it. This is Paul's image. He's like, I don't want you to be taken and unwoven and, and some of y'all over there some of y'all over here, you just look like you've been beat up. We've got to be tight-knit together. This is a call for unity in the church. So I want you to be a unified body. Not, not one church that's been attacked by a mauled cat. But we have to be unified together. It's what our community needs right now. It's what our country needs right now is a unified church. One that is tightly knit together. Uh, because this is what the gospel does inside of us. When the gospel injected deeply into our veins begins to work itself in a tightly knitted church, then you know something good's going to happen. Because when gospel transformation takes place inside, it just don't stay inside there. It begins to overflow out of your life into your neighbors, into your community. This is what gospel life looks like. I like what John Calvin said. We must consistently set our sights upon holiness if we would rightly respond to God's calling. To what purpose did God pull us out of the wickedness and pollution of this world? And I love what he says. 
wickedness and pollution in which we were submerged, if we allow ourselves to wallow in such wickedness and pollution for the rest of our lives. He goes on to say, it is not right that the city in which God dwells should resemble a filthy stable. I don't need my city. I don't need my life. I don't need my home. I don't need my church. I don't need none of y'all to be resembling a filthy stable. So not only is this a a call and, and a work that God has commissioned you to, do you see what happens when that call, when the gospel sets rooted into your heart? Maturation. And it flows out of your life into the lives of others around you. The world can see that the church, they got something that we need. My fear, though, is that the world is looking at the church as if it is this filthy stable, ain't got nothing. But this call, this work that God has uniquely wired you to do, may it set and root deep into our veins. Look what else that he does. Boy, I'd be spitting on everything. Doesn't it? Nasty. Look at verse 4. I love this right here. Our work fuels us to fight for our faith. Look what he says. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The gospel, it fuels us to fight and contend for the faith. So he's telling them, listen, you need to know Jesus. You've got to know Jesus or else someone will come into your church and give you some, seems like a reasonable argument. And because you aren't rooted deep and maturing in your faith, you'll just go on about the doctrines of this world. Contend, fight for the faith. There's a lot of fighting going on right now in the world. But we all fighting the wrong thing. We've got to fight for the true Jesus. Fight and contend for the faith. Show up to a battle without being armed and see, let's see how good that works out for you. To know the word of God for yourself. If this is all the word you get, then man, 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 you won't get beat down out in the battlefield. Like this is free 99 for you. You probably should get off of Facebook, that Instagram, and all them other interweb social media things and get into the word of God. Know Jesus, Paul is saying, and make him known. Now, if I were to bring us back a few months ago when we were in our Gospel of John series, I summarized the Gospel of John in this manner. Know Jesus, make him known. Likewise, Paul here is illustrating the same message that my boy John gave us. 
Know Jesus and make him known to the ends of the earth. Know him this morning, church. Know the true Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, then you'll never get your identity. If you don't know Jesus, then nothing else is going to matter. None of the words that I'm going to be saying over the next few weeks will even mean anything to you if you don't know Jesus. Amen. We have to know Jesus, the true Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, the all-sufficient, all-supreme, all-knowing, all-sovereign Jesus. Do you know him this morning? And you know him, and you make him known in your life. Let me pray over it this morning.